Hi, everybody. Um, Arthur here with a brief producer's note. Uh, so in recording uh, our last episode, which was Tokyo Drifter, this episode M and our next episode, uh, which is going to be over Blood Simple. Uh, there were some processing issues with the computer. So the audio sounds like a skipping CD or uh, an episode of Max Headroom. Uh, so I do apologize about that sound. Uh, there wasn't anything I could really do to salvage it. And we did not have time to re-record uh, these episodes. So uh, again, apologies if you skipped this week's episode. No uh, no hard feelings, you know. Um, if you want to get us the play, turn it on, turn the volume down, and we'll take the play that way. Otherwise, uh, join us in a couple of weeks uh, when we go with a new uh, continuation of the crime uh, marathon, uh, and, w- and we put a little spin on it. It'll be fun. Uh, otherwise, um, here is our episode over uh, M. Um, I don't know why I'm making it specific because I'm going to put the same tag on next week episode of Blood Simple. But thanks for listening. Uh, and if you're not listening, uh, apologies anyway. Um, bye. You know, in the 1930s, if Germany had focused more on exporting uh, interesting and character actors uh, than what they did focus on, uh, we'd be in a much better place. There are some fascinating-looking actors in this movie. There are indeed. And, and that what is... What is the role of Peter Lorre's thyroid? That's what I kept wondering. I, 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 You'd be nice to Peter Lorre. <laughs> biggest problem in Hollywood today is that nobody's interesting-looking except for Michael Shannon and like two other guys. Dude, you're so right. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? There's like, nobody looks... They're all the same. They're all called Chris. I watched. <laughs> not wrong. I watched the, the '90s Miracle on 34th Street yeah. for the holiday, and when Alice and Janie shows up, like a, a, a kind of sassy mom, it's just like, oh yeah, that's right. She, she wasn't always famous. She was just a character actor for a little bit. And boy, isn't it nice to watch character actors' careers change? And now we just don't have character actors. It's all yeah. handsomes. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I, I need more Michael Shannons in the world. People who look like they've been in a bar with a hobo there's yeah, so yeah. many cool looking faces Joaquin in this phoenix movie. has got a face i think yeah, okay. face. Right. He's, well, give me if he cleans up though I, I do think he does have a little more unique i you know uh john the majors i think has kind of a a, a good greedy look to him he's so handsome though oh, he is he's so handsome I think shannon shannon's kind of adam driver's kind of place he has adam an interesting Driver, look. yeah Very attractive sure. interesting look okay yeah. But, no. not, but not traditionally handsome. Correct. I mean, he's, yeah. he's absolutely handsome. Yeah, man, he's not he's, traditionally. Right. Yeah, like he's not Bo- Clooney. Like Bogart, yeah. yeah, yeah. Little, Bogart's a little rugged, a little rough around the edges. Mm-hmm. Smoked a lot, drank a lot, and it showed. Mm-hmm. You know? It's not the years, man. It's the mileage. There's, exactly. <laughs> now, speaking of smoking, there are some interesting... Humphrey sm- Bogart was only 24 in Casablanca. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know? There are some interesting smoking apparatuses in this movie. Uh, uh, is it the cigar in the pipe that gets you the holders, most? The cigar in the pipe with a little lady on the pipe. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
Yes. Wild. What a movie. Means of tobacco consumption was definitely much more um, some, some of the smokiest rooms ever put to celluloid. It's movie. so fun. Speaking of Peter Lorre and Casablanca, what are we talking about Hi, this Hi, everybody. Week? Welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast. We gather around a table. We discuss a film you'll never discuss in a film face course unless you do it in January when we do our anti-trash marathon. Our current anti-trash marathon is anti-trash crime films. This week, we're looking at Fritz Long's M, starring one Peter Lorre and others. And we're going to be talking about that movie. I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I'm still Dalton. Have you talked about this movie in a class? I have referenced it. Referenced it. I have an intro to the film. I yeah. refer- referenced it. What about you, Arthur? No. Never come I really had the opportunity yet. Though. I mean, but it's a heavily canonized film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Iconic sequences. Long yeah. thought it was his best movie. It is It is his best movie. I mean, I've only seen this in Metropolis, to be fair. But <laughs> Right now, this is winning out. <laughs> two for two? <laughs> it's him, baby. <laughs> I know, he's he's quite prolific. Did yeah, you do Sunshine? Is that him? That's Murdo. Okay. And I always run him I haven't seen that either, together. but I'm just yeah. trying to remember. It's like, why would what you, else is Long done? Of why note? would you watch What's Fritz the... Long when you could watch Murdo? Let's write down the top five. What are the other three prominent works of Fritz Long? I don't know. Well, okay, he worked then, all the way up until... Then is his best movie. Yeah, he if he can't give me three more options. That's, yeah. I'd have to look and be reminded of what he's even made. Let me just look. Because Nosferatu too is Murnau. Murnau also, yeah. yeah. And, well, and Lang isn't just working in, like, the German... Like, he comes to America, I think. He, I mean, he works all the way up into the late 50s. Yeah. I mean, he, he has very prolific yeah, he's career. one of their His top four, according exports. to IMDb... His known four. ...are Contempt, Metropolis, Contempt 1963 in the States, mm. uh, Metropolis... Uh, M and Spies in 928. Have you seen Spies or Contempt? I have not. Contempt, I want to say, he made that movie somewhere other than the States. Bridget Bardot's in that movie. What? Oh, he did Dr. Mabuse the Gambler? Oh, I've seen that. All right. I've seen Dr. Mabuse. Dustin, Woman Woman in the the Window window is great. I love Woman in the Window. I mean, he comes over and starts doing some noir stuff, probably. Yeah, yeah. Woman in the Window is great. His American stuff's pretty good, yeah. You've got until the end of the episode to convince me this isn't his best movie. I don't know that I want to even make that argument. I like Metropolis more still, Mm. so I'm just there. It's okay to be wrong once in a while. Oh, hell yeah. Anyway, um... You've tuned in the show for the very first time, guys. Oh, do you think the listener might want to know like what the format of this is? They might want to know at least whether or not um, they need to see the movie in order to listen to the show. The answer is no. However, if you're a per- person who is adverse to spoilers, uh, we are going to spoil them because this is an analysis show, not a review show. And so if you are a person like, no, 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 never, 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 never tell me what's going to happen in the movie before <laughs> I watch the movie, then you probably want to stop at the kicking music. But there are things that happen before the kicking music. Before that, we have synopsis. Synopsis. That's going to be fine. We're going to have thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, which is going to be also fine. We're going to then move in into a little area called Bay the Syllabus, which might gently spoil some aspects, but not of the key aspects of this film. And, and then the kicky music plays, and that's when all spoiler bets are off, and we're going to find out what happens to Peter Lee. So we will tell you how this ninety-year-old movie ends. Yes, it is also ninety years old. Did you the return of Frank James? Yes. I, I like that movie. Looks like he came to America in 35-ish. Gee, I wonder yeah. if there's anything that would have precipitated that. <laughs> um, he didn't want to be there anymore. Mm. He was tired of telling stories in German. <laughs> well, she, yeah, that's probably the only reason that I can think of. Well, they didn't have Duolingo and he wanted to brush up on his English. Yeah. yeah. That was, that was it. it. Was what it. <laughs> he saw a future in Hollywood, kid. Ah, see? <laughs> he said, Garbo went. Why not? Um, hey, Lori's going. Darling Mietrich? <laughs> Arlene Dietrich, I should say. <laughs> there, With wow, that name. there really was a huge exodus, though. Yeah. A oh, big yeah. Way. In oh, yeah. a big way. If you had money and you saw it coming, you went. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. You, you smooth went. Yeah. 
So we'll, um, we'll talk about that aspect of the movie. The thing we're talking about is the rise of fascism. Uh, yeah, in case you weren't aware, M is a film from 1931 in Germany, and a couple of years after this movie came out, they sort of had a change in government over there. Yeah, they're they're working on it at this point. Um, yeah. When did Hitler get elected? 35, 36? Uh, you would ask me. It's mid 30s. Yeah, I <sighs> want to say 36, but but I could be wrong. I don't even know. But it's you know we're we're not too far out from it. I mean that's what what has always excited me about this film. Is Chancellor like, of Germany from thirty three. Oh, oh, so it is two years after this. Yeah, hits. It's, it's coming fast. Yeah, and he's a Führer on uh, thirty four. Okay, that's right. Okay. Um. All right. Well, there you go. Well, it listener. takes a few more years to invade Poland than, than uh, that. I guess. Content warning at the top: Nazis, uh, Holocaust, probably um, child murder, child murder, and Peter Lorre's bizarre eyes. Um, all of these things will be discussed throughout the rest of the show. So, um, take care of yourselves, friends. All right, with that, let's do a review. Um, who's seen it before besides me? Well, Arthur, do you have a synopsis for oh, us? Oh, synopsis. Let's do that. He got, he, he was over to hear well, what we thought about. fun and yeah. talking about stuff. A strange child murder strikes fear into the people of Berlin. Paranoia erupts in the community and concern grows for the next victim. The police and the criminal underworld set out to find the person responsible. Now, Excellent. I had also seen this before, because this is on my top 100. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, and Arthur had not. This so. was your first time. So, uh, before I go to you, Arthur, I want to give you a quick anecdote of watching the movie with my oldest son, who came over to the house to do laundry as I was watching the movie, and therefore it was on, and uh, Peter Lorre, uh, after an abortive attempt to murder a child, uh, goes to get a drink. Mm-hmm. He wants tea, then he doesn't want, he doesn't want tea, then he wants vermouth, then he wants whiskey, then he finally settles on cognac. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Isaiah says to me, Oh, I wonder if this is what the old M is based on, because there's a line in GoldenEye where Judy Dench becomes a new M, and he says, you always used to drink cognac, and your M, is this M, that M? And I go, no, but that is an incredible pull. That's funny, though. It is an incredible pull from (laughs) GoldenEye, yeah. (laughs) Just fun times for all. But what if it was the same M? Well, I'll say this, most members of intelligence agencies could reasonably be called murderers so there you go maybe it is the same mm so let's go let's talk about the rest of our experience in terms of review arthur i will go to you first this is gonna be a baddie show (laughs) it's a baddie movie well i uh man i wasn't expect i didn't anticipate this not having like a clear narrative Main pro tag, main antag, like, I mean, we kind of like this big ensemble thing. We're jumping around from different kind of components of the instigation, uh, very procedural heavy, which I wasn't, I, I, I guess I was just anticipating much more thriller guy on the run kind of a thing, right? Where they're ch- chasing uh, Lori. And so um, I was kind of taken aback by those components, uh, but I was also really taken by them. I, I really like procedural stuff. I like courtroom dramas and all that's here. <laughs> uh, and so uh, those things are really cool. Again, I said, uh, just really interesting character actors. And I mean, everybody in here is just really interesting. Uh, I got confused in a few places uh, because it does kind of jump between groups so much. Uh, there's a sequence uh, that goes back and forth between or back, uh, f- I think, from the criminal underworld to all the cops talking. And I got really confused because like our all the cops criminal like i i had merged those two groups into one and i was very mm. confused for a while mm. uh, about that uh, but there were some characters that you know i 
I picked up Loman. Is that his name? I think. Yeah, the, yeah, the he's the Steve Steve Cuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know him. I kind of finally picked up on Laurie's character, uh, and they're really kind of the main. The two. safe. I guess the safe cracker. Yeah, the safe the, cracker. The main name. criminal. Uh, Laurie's barely in the movie. Yeah, I mean he's you, ten minutes maybe. Right? About yeah. I mean he's got a huge showcase his is there. Yeah, but he's got the big finale kind of a thing. Yeah, um, he's Saruman in two towers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's barely there. Uh, he's Beetlejuice. He's Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Um, yep. Same 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 thing. He's Viola David Doubt. Um but uh Or Suicide Squad. Or <laughs> Suicide Squash, yes. Uh Suicide Squash. Uh a bunch of rich people. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a pitch I'm working on. Yeah, Don't worry. Yeah, I'll yeah. get it there. Su- I'm into this. this. <laughs> <I'll> <laughs> Good return. <laughs> Squash talk. Uh, I was uh, really taken aback by how he's made the film. Uh, he puts the camera where he wants it, when he wants it, in really innovative ways for 1931. In a sound film, yeah, early sound film. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's moving the camera across tables, through rooms, doing insane stuff. When we see something like this, I think in Wings, there's a similar shot that opens, you know, goes through a, a restaurant or something over tables and through the crowd. Uh, he's doing very something, but he does it multiple times uh, throughout here. He's using multiple angles, multiple cuts within different scenes, within shots. Uh, average shot length is a lot lower than I anticipated it would be. I mean, he's kind of cutting frequently uh, for the time. Um, all of that stuff is just so impressive to me, and I wasn't expecting it. Uh, the, the perspective shot uh, when the big guy's picking on the the old man, and he he shoots down to to emphasize the bigger guy, and mm-hmm. shoots down to uh, you know downplay the size of the smaller man. Uh, all that stuff at work, the point of view shots that we get a few times, you know, echoing uh, Dreyer on uh, Passion of Arc and also kind of foreshadowing um, Demi and, and Silence of the Lambs. Uh, we get some of those sequences as well and just captivated by the filmmaking that's on display here. Kind of taken aback by the silent moments because kind of anytime there's not dialogue, it's just quiet. There's no score or anything yeah. like that, which is a bit takes me out of it a few times i it's, think because there's very, not even like a lot of sound effect stuff either it's, it's just a very 30s film in that sense yeah yeah, yeah. i mean you gotta be economical you can't afford to you know do all those things you're still working on, on scoring and when things like that using silence in interesting ways right because when there's yeah. it's very quiet it's usually because a, a big sound is about to punctuate it yeah yeah uh just really cool stuff the the, the iconic laurie on the run getting cornered in the street i mean all those stuff that you've seen in video montages at the oscars whatever all that stuff is really cool uh Lori is great uh when he shows up i think everybody's really good though um i i like that it kind of starts on this you know nursery rhyme that's darkened but it's what the kids sing and then how they're kind of coping with the time and uh thought a lot of you know freddy krueger and one two freddy's for you and, absolutely you know, other or, or nursery rhymes. Roses, yeah, yeah, yeah. Other nursery rhymes of the time as well but uh, i think that's a fun little uh bit to open on um yeah, man, I mean, just really kind of blown away by the filmmaking here. Uh, I think more so than narrative, but I think narratively it's you know, super influential as well, right? I mean, what it's doing procedural, the way it's doing criminology, the way it's doing all of these components, the way it ends, like, I mean, narratively it's doing a lot too. Uh, but on the first watch, I was really taken aback. Just the filmmaking stuff I wasn't expecting in 1931 Germany. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not super familiar with a lot of films from that time. That- you know, in 1931 Germany, uh, but also not a lot of 30 movies, but I'm pretty aware to know he's doing some pretty innovative things uh, and ahead of his time thing. Mm-hmm. It feels very, very modern in that sense. So, yeah, man, just 
wow, it was, it was kind of where I was at. I, I'd like to watch it again. I kind of got interrupted a few times. I'd really like to sit down and focus on it some more and, and watch it again because I think there's just a lot here. And, and I really dig that. All right, very cool, very, very cool. What do you think about not M, Alton? Well, yeah. If, tipped his hat already. Yeah, if you listen to our Top 100, you know I'm a big fan of this movie. Uh, and, and Arthur, you, you really have highlighted what struck me so much about it the first time I watched it is how modern it feels. It does not feel like a film from the 30s. And, and both in the procedural elements, the, the cross-cutting, you know, you mentioned that big mm-hmm. set piece where we're, we've got the meaning of, of the, like, the lead criminals in town and the meaning of like the police officials and how they're, they're sort of like these pre-lapping bits of dialogue. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all extremely modern. And again, really, as as Dustin highlighted, not something you would expect out of this early period of sound. Thirty to thirty two is like is like widely considered the growing pains of the sound era, and you know that's sort of a hallmark of films from the era is like there's an awkwardness, mm-hmm. and that's not really here. There's not quite that that sense of sound and and visual fighting against each other. They they're pretty seamlessly executed. It's it is yeah, it, it's really remarkable filmmaking. Uh I just think it's a thrilling movie. I, I think it it really is a, a great psychological thriller. Um I did uh punch out of it around oh the quarter way or halfway mark uh, more than I did the first time. I was pretty wrapped the first time I saw this movie and I it did struggle to hold me until Lori goes on the run. Uh, so there was a, there was a moment where I did kind of I was like, oh, why, I, do I really love this movie? And as soon as Lori put that M on his shoulder, I was like, okay, okay yeah, 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 I'm back in. I'm here. This this movie rules. Uh, and and I'm I'm still right there with you, Arthur. I, I had been wanting to revisit this, so I'm very glad you selected for this marathon because it was a really nice excuse to to get to watch it again. It it still hits for me uh, again. That that Lori performance is. You know, there's not a lot of it, but there doesn't need to be a lot of it. It should be kind of restrained and and sort of a uh, save for the end of the movie. And I, I think it really is a kind of extremely well thought out punctuation on the on the movie uh, to, to sort of the. Without trying to not spoil too much, uh, but for me, what works so well about this movie is sort of the the culmination of of sort of the, the dramatic climax, like both how Lori is apprehended. Let's say he's apprehended. I don't think that that's too much of a spoiler to say that the child murderer gets caught in the movie about the child murderer. Um, they do catch him. And the way that that unfolds, I just think is so compelling. And then what happens after he is apprehended and sort of the chain of custody on his incarceration and, and, and sort of the dueling, philosophical ideas about the nature of what do you do with violent crime uh specifically like this is kind of crime that doesn't have have you, know, you can't look to a societal motivation like you can with uh, you know the safe cracker and his his uh, his cohorts i mean that that kind of the idea that for them crime is a business and one of necessity is something the movie gets into a little bit the idea of the crime that we struggle to understand as a species that 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 this gets into that and like how you deal with it in 1931 in a place that is very swiftly becoming an authoritarian regime. Like it's, it's an absolutely essential film. I I think Uh, just where it sits, it's a time and place, what it accomplishes and how it accomplished it when it did did it. I mean, I think all of these things to just speak to like this being a rightfully canonized movie. Uh, Again, any movie about crime on the eve of a country going fascist, pretty useful and especially when it's this technically competent and this exciting to watch uh i mean that's all just useful stuff and i again to me is what makes it such a fascinating and interesting film 
All right, thank you very much for that, Dalton Stewart. I also like M a whole bunch. I like Long in general, and uh, yeah, the the German expressionists. Uh, that is the thing about this movie is it is less sort of in your face, idiosyncratic kind of style. Although you see all those sort of oblique angles and whatnot sort of put together in the set design and the, the, the lighting design and whatnot. And so you still have that way in which you keep a background very interesting in the black and white film. Uh, man, this whole thing st- shot on sound stages. And these sound stages are, are incredible. These city streets that they build for this movie are, I mean, there's the, it works. the, the, the yeah. pure production of film is amazing. And then, and as we've already said, the way in which he moves the camera and is unafraid. One of the things the 1930s are famous for is the way in which the camera gets locked down because of the necessity of recording sound. And, um, Fritz is not afraid. I think a lot about the, uh, the, the shot where the guy who's drilled the hole through the ground has to come back out of the ground and he shoots it from above. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. What are yeah. we doing, guys? And really simple stuff. Uh, they, they, I mean, we're talking like a microphone hung over a two by four over the set. Like they're they're not like technologically that far ahead of anybody else using sound right now. Mm-hmm. They're just being very clever with what they're doing. Yeah. And uh, the, the whole thing pieces together into a really, really fascinating little story that, that becomes less about the sort of exploitative the salaciousness of, ooh, this fun little killer murder thing. Um, it's, it's not. It's not. Mm. It becomes, what does this say about us? Which is a really sort of incisive look in the mirror uh, sociologically uh, for the film. And so, I, man, it just it just works on multiple levels for me and so i enjoy it very very much and i echo everything my uh, dear co-hosts have already said so with that i think we're going to move on to our next part of the show which is called expanding the syllabus arthur would you mind telling us what that's all about expanding the syllabus is a thought experiment wherein we the hosts assemble an academic course or module within a course based around the assigned viewing for the week and adjacent text from book articles to tangentially related films and stories Yes, indeed. Um, do you come prepared with, with a syllabus? Did you come to class? Did you do the reading? I did. Okay. I, I did come with a, a, a syllabi. Uh, Dalton, I don't know if I'm going to step on your toes or not, because I don't know what you're doing. But uh, I'm doing criminology in the classroom. I um, think we'll be okay. Okay. Uh, and so I, I was doing some looking and thinking about, you know, watching this and the way it really does deal with the more, more philosophical idea of, it's not just about catching killers, it's really meditating on the criminology aspect of that and, mm. and where it goes in that final act and the ways in which they debate back and forth about that character. Uh, and, and so I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about how that's kind of, you know, our look at that have evolves over time. And I thought, obviously, as other movies, but uh, in doing some look, I, I found an article called, called Teaching Through Film, uh, Utilizing Popular Criminology in the Classroom mm. uh, by Matthew Atherton, um, who assembled this study uh, and uh, article uh, looking at using criminology films in the classroom to teach different theories and ideas and processes and getting students to wrestle with the concepts and and different ideas that that might come up in criminology. Uh, And in that he assembles something of a a syllabus or I guess a a reading list uh, that you would use in a course about this. Uh, And then I've tagged on a couple extra movies myself. And so uh, just a few pulls from that article. Uh, The first is V for Vendetta. 
uh, and wrestling with ideas of terrorism and envy mm-hmm. and his role in that uh, in that film, but also ideas of labeling of de- behavior and mm-hmm. the way society does that and societal constructs of identity and and what is what is wrong and things like that. Uh, and then Gone Baby Gone is another one used, uh, and this one is used to illustrate both micro and macro issues surrounding decision uh, making related to crime. And so the processes people go through in leveling out when and if criminal behavior is okay. Uh, City of God and the idea of criminal behavior as it changes over time. And this is something we talked about last week. Can a person go good? good? Can a person, you know, get out? Or are they kind of in the cycle of criminal behavior? And, and what is that? And what does that look like? Uh, and then The Machinist uh, with Christian Bale. Uh, is another pick from that article, uh, which, which is about the idea of criminal guilt and mm-hmm. the way in which when somebody does something criminal, how they wrestle with it, how they cope with it, ideas of trauma, grief, PTSD, insomnia, and things that might set in physically and with their health uh, to make them um, where they may and you know, kind of go through that. Uh, from there, some picks I think about uh, is Psycho. Um, no, these are your pat picks from the correct. list now. Yeah. Okay. So the next gotcha. couple are for me. Uh, but the first is uh, Psycho, which kind of does this mm-hmm. to an extent, right? Mm-hmm. At the end when they have apprehended Norman Bates and they try to have a discussion of what led to this behavior. And we have since evolved from what comes out in that uh, discussion. But it, it does try to, in some way, explain away or explain uh, Bates's behavior in that film. Uh, then we're going to do Silence of the Lambs. Uh, when we did that show on here, uh, Nick Sanford Ron talked about it a great deal and its impact in and in its uh, use of criminology and criminal methods and things like that. And so I think we talk about that. Uh, and then finally, we'd probably look at some episodes of CSI and Hannibal and just kind of play those because that's when I think people think of criminology, think of you know, cases and tracking suspects, they, they think CSI and, you know, you get the killer in a tight, tight 60 minutes or whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I think just kind of using that as a, it's not like this. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some of the processes that actually do work, but you can't say enhance, mm-hmm. uh, and enhance the photo. It doesn't work that way. Uh, much to our chagrin. So we kind of look at the kind of factor fiction of something like that. Mm-hmm. And then Hannibal, I think kind of talking about the psychological impact that this could have on people involved in criminology and, and what you, you know, you don't really leave the work at work mm. with some of this stuff, if I think so. That's, that's what we would do though. Criminology nice. in the classroom. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. I like that syllabus. What, what do you have for your similar syllabus? Dalton? Uh, not that similar, okay. but there's some overlap maybe. And I definitely in my list putting together as, as I was assembling the reading list for this class, there's definitely some, some films like mentioned came up Uh city of God, was one that I saw a lot because I was specifically looking at stories about cities. Mm. I think M functions mm. really well as a like, portrait of, you mentioned the procedural elements. It's, a, it's mm-hmm. a, a city in process. It's like, how, how does the, when the equilibrium of an urban area is upended for whatever reason, how does the city respond? Mm-hmm. I, I think M's a really great example of that. Um, all of these are sort of looking not nece- not all of these are necessarily looking at, times where a city's status quo is upended uh, a lot of these are just like portraits of characters in cities but all of them are trying to use the city to like further something about the theme or the idea again i i, I hesitate to say things like the city is a character because i think that shit is boring <laughs> uh, and i think we all know it uh but that said in all of these media that i've, I've put on the reading list i think the 
time and place is of the utmost importance. Uh, so we would definitely, of course, look at, first look at M, but also look at, a little bit at David Simon's The Wire. Of course, how could you not? Uh, we would also look at Wong Kar Wai's Fallen Angels, a film that we covered a long time ago on this show, but uh, a film about sort of isolation and longing in pre-handover Hong Kong and sort of uh, again, very much a movie about time and place, uh, especially that era of Wong Kar Wai's filmography is really kind of interesting. So if you include something like Chunking Express as well, which I haven't seen, but it is also similarly interested in, you know, relationships during this sort of tumultuous time for Hong Kong. Uh, we'd also look at Nightcrawler uh, with Jake Gyllenhaal and all that. I forget which Gilroy brother that is, but I think it's one of the Roy's. But uh, a really interesting movie about media and Los Angeles mm-hmm. and uh, sort of... Uh, uh, how when when a city never sleeps uh, as most cities tend to not do uh what happens and who who is there to see what happens and how do they uh capture what happens and how they do how do they disseminate what happens uh columbus from coconata a much different city film some of these are obviously you know very crime oriented uh coconata's columbus is much more a vibes movie and and mm-hmm. not like in the tokyo drifter sense from last week but more of a People talking about their feelings and art and looking at architecture and, and sort of considering buildings. It's, I love Columbus. It's such a nice little movie, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Coconut rules. Uh, we, we would uh, look at, mentioned last week on my uh, music syllabus, uh, we would look at Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, very much a, a, a neighborhood, not a whole city, but looking at a neighborhood in Brooklyn and uh, charting the course of one very, very hot, very fucked up day. And, and what that ends up looking like. And, uh, you know, I also have In Bruges and Before Sunrise on here, sort of European character studies. These are definitely less using the city and, like, what's going on in the city. And, like, these are more people finding themselves in cities they don't really aren't familiar with mm-hmm. or don't really have a connection to. And, uh, I, again, they would pair with something like Sofia Coppola's Lost in Translation, I think is another film, uh, where sort of the, the alienation of a city that is not your own is sort of the key theme here. Uh, but I think, I think a city of gods, another one, if you want to get into like how cities respond to crime, uh, there's a lot of good options here. They're both, both you crime. Oh, heat was one that I forgot to mention. Of course, the Michael Mann film, which is all about, how a city is uh, responding to a big upheaval. What about Haddonfield and Halloween Kills? I mean, honestly... Or it's what's u- the second one? Uh, that's Kills. Yeah, okay. Halloween Kills is kind of useful. Uh, I, I think you're right. I mean, that's... Because that's the thing, right? That is It is all about, like, what would... If a slasher movie continued in, in your suburb, how would your suburb respond? Yeah. It is kind of trying to think through the the ethical not ethical but the, like like the, the societal repercussions mm-hmm. of a slasher film security yeah the security yeah. state implications of yeah of halloween in 2020s mm-hmm. uh, or the 20 teens your batman movies can do that kind of thing too they can now yeah yeah, yeah. uh some interesting stuff there i hadn't even thought about halloween kills but i think that's like a fun again not a movie that i have a lot of love for i don't know many people that do but i think it's interesting it's just sort of like in conversation with yeah. Talking, yeah, well, especially in conversation with M, but to like you know, is such so grounded in like like real world crime, and, and Halloween is such a funhouse mirror of real world murder that to to like kind of compare and contrast the two, I think would be really interesting. And Dustin, you just mentioned a film also. Oh, just the Batman. Oh, the Batman. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. Not, not 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 that movie. I say really more the Dark Knight. But... I think more the Batman. Really. Oh yeah, I think the Batman mm-hmm. uh, has a lot of good stuff here, right? Like it doesn't really present anything the Riddler does as morally bad until the end of the movie mm. it really like makes you go i don't know maybe we might need killing i might, might, might need killing <laughs> uh so interesting movies all around but i, I think 
I don't know, I, I get very excited by the kind of story. Mm -hmm. I like, the, as Arthur said, one of the cool things, things about him is the scope of it. And I, I love, it, you know, Heat being another good example of, like, having a big scope on your film and letting you bounce around different people, like, living through the same events and how different people are responding in the same city to the same stimuli. I just think it's like, again, as you mentioned, sociology is sort of, of a, a driving academic concern for him. And I, I think in all mm -hmm. of these films, that's, that's what's so exciting about them is you get to use film as a sociological tool, which is, for me, some, some of the, the most interesting things you can do with film. Absolutely. Is, is tell a lot of stories. What about you, Dustin? So I think what I'd use with this movie is I would make an assignment in a uh, maybe a little film theory course or a film history course in which um, I would make a student take on Siegfried Krakauer's thesis in From Caligari to Hitler, in which it asks the, – the, the, I'm going to summarize the whole book. We've mentioned we, before we, on we've here, talked I think. About We've talked about it before, but the idea yeah. is that – the German expressionist mode of filmmaking in Weimar Germany before the uh, uh, coming of the Third Reich was one that Krakauer sees as a culture in excess desiring a authoritarian leader. That that is sort of a, using it as, as a diagnostic tool. And I don't I don't think I think Krakauer thought that the movies made people Nazis or made people fascists. It was that these people were ready for and were willing to give power to a strong man. Mm -hmm. And uh, that ended up being fascist. And so it's, it's not like, you know, the Matrix makes school shootings happen or whatever. That sort of violent video game kind of argument, which has historically always played out badly. Although, you know, it's weird. Um, Fox News has done to our parents. We thought video games were going to do the kids. But so there might be something to say about media and all of that. But that's a different conversation a question we shan't be able to answer today yeah but just an interesting observation yeah <laughs> for sure <laughs> just saying um so there is some chicken and egg kind of stuff to have there and so the the, the project would then be so read the book is crack our right and do, do these movies really show a desire for that kind of authoritarian kind of governance? And I think Krakauer mostly focuses on The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari by, um, by Robert Veen, uh, which would be a primary film to be using for the assignment. I would also add uh, Veen's uh, Hands of the Warlock with Conrad Veet, uh, which is another sort of horror film uh, about this sort of broken person sort of responding in rage against a society. And then I would add to that, um, I, I want to do Der Golem by Wegener, mm -hmm. uh, because it's Jewish in that, in that sense, and I think oh. that's kind of worth thinking about. And then another movie that kind of comes up in the same conversation oftentimes is uh, Nosferatu mm -hmm. uh, by F.W. Murnau. And so looking at that handful of films and to identify narratively what's going on in these movies and sort of make the argument, do these movies articulate a desire for authoritarianism or a desire for fascistic kind of governance. And I don't know that they do. I, my, my, my sense is maybe not. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to tip your hand too much, but I think when we, we talked about this on uh, our episode over the cabinet, Dr. Caligari, I think, mm -hmm. and I, I'm pretty sure I recall you kind of coming down on not necessarily agreeing with crack. Yeah, I, I don't. Well, there's a couple things there. First of all, these movies weren't super popular in Germany and there weren't a lot of them. And so it wasn't like this sort of hyper, you know, um, well-known, influential. I mean, they were influential after the fact uh, on future filmmaking. But as far as in the moment, in the moment, they weren't blockbusters. Um, there weren't any blockbusters at this time. But they weren't those kinds of movies. They, you know, uh, within ten years, movies. Like they weren't that. gone with the wind. They weren't gone with the wind. Yeah, you read mine. Uh, so they weren't that. So 
what do we say about that, you know, in terms of uh, exhibition? But I'm just thinking thematically, I'm not sure it holds water either, uh, that this is out of this movie, these movies feel sort of a, uh, a Freudian cinematic kind of desire for that kind of leadership, as Krakauer argues it. And so um, I would just be, I, again, I would just leave that as a possible assignment. Here are your movies, here's your book. Make your conclusion, you know, write the paper uh, for the end of the class and, you know, have a couple of other different assignments taking on sort of major works of film theory and film history uh, for that as well. Um, but, but that would be the way I would probably approach using uh, this particular film, which I think is maybe the least authoritarian of, of any of them. I was just thinking that as you were talking about sort of, sort of that assignment. Because is our safe cracker not our strongman? I think our safe ca- cracker is the strongman for and sure. And he's kind of... Well, let's get down to business. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh, it's business. It's business. He's a bad guy, right? Mm, I don't know that he's any worse than anybody else in this movie. Well, uh, okay, fair. Uh, I don't know that he's a bad guy. I mean, he's he's been, about to been to manslaughter three times. He's, yeah. Let's not talk about that. Yeah, I don't know. That's not relevant here. Why well, can't men laugh? I don't know why manslaughter's a crime. That's very funny, I'm Dustin. Sorry. Thank you for your pun. Uh, we, we, we see your low form of comedy, and we acknowledge it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he, he, so he say at the top of the movie, this is a business. And the police understand that if one of us end up dead, that's just how it breaks down. And I don't... I'm sorry. I, I know Heat is just a movie. I know M is just a movie but I don't find that much of a problem with that thesis. I guess that's my view of law enforcement as an occupying army. Mm-hmm. But I don't... You were talking about two factions in a war with each other sure. at, at the end of the day. And that, that's cross-culturally, cross-nationally, cross-legality. That is what the police and organized crime represent. As I was really factions. thinking of him more as the head of the kangaroo court at the end of the film. I will. I, I think we have to establish context to get to there. Yeah. Because I think what is interesting is, is the kangaroo court is the voice of the people at some level. Because sure. who is assembled there? It is the mothers of the killed children and the criminals mm-hmm. and the beggars who helped catch the... You know, it's, it is it's a real people. people's court. It yeah. is a people's court. But Unlike, there are reasons why we don't let the mothers of the victims sit on the jury. I agree. I'm not disagreeing <laughs> with you. I'm just saying there's interesting context. I don't think the film hands it to you that neatly either. I, I, don't, I don't know that Lang is... Because the transition to... I guess let's spoil the film for anybody that decided to just hear a conversation about mm-hmm. it. They catch Peter Lorre. They take him to, as Dustin called it, a kangaroo court. It's presided over by the safecracker who has been sort of established as the head of criminal faction throughout the He's film. He's Don Corleone. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's the, got the most power, for sure. People listen to him. They like his ideas. And he's sort of presiding as the judge. The and, veto's court. I'd watch that show. Oh, hell yeah. And as we've said, everybody <laughs> in this court. here today on this day. <laughs> everybody in the court is the, the people. The police do eventually show up because they've been tipped off as to where they might have Peter Lorre now that they've apprehended him. The police show up and they take Peter Lorre to the quote unquote real courts. And we end on a, uh, a shot of the sort of the judge's bench, people filing in. And then we cut to a mother being like, boy, we really should look after the children. End of movie. So I don't know that the film as a text necessarily does as anything establish that court as more... Uh, valid than the people's court. There, there, mm-hmm. There's not necessarily like a gesture by the movie to say, and isn't it good that the law prevailed? 
And I, I, I don't think the, I think the film like doesn't want the lynching to happen. I think it thinks it would be bad for these people to kill Peter Laurie in the basement. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that. I don't I, think the movie doesn't think Peter Laurie needs to be killed. I, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't. I don't think it thinks that either because it definitely is like alluded to multiple times throughout the film that like the perpetrator of this crime could be somebody that was processed by an institution at one point and was released as you know being no longer a threat to society Mm -hmm. so like the idea of you know incarceration not always working for this particular type of criminal is definitely like presented um so i don't again i don't know that the the film says the death penalty has a take on the death penalty no it it definitely doesn't i mean we but i don't know that it has like the biggest moral stance on like the law winning either which i think is interesting like it it's positioned as probably the better thing to have happen mm-hmm. but i don't know that it like says that this is also like the only good thing i don't know what do you think i don't know i i think peter laurie's uh monologue speech is part of the power of this is the guy's terrible and definitely something needs to be done here but this is not how to do it like mm-hmm. i i think the recognition that somehow He's able, and this is, I mean, partly just the incredible performance that he puts out. He's so good. He's so good. But he's able to humanize this obvious monster. Mm -hmm. And in such a way to listen, this is somebody that we're going to have to put away in some sense, either permanently or, you know, like lifetime incarceration kind of thing. But um, also a human being with rights. Well, and the the suspension of rights. I I mean, that's what the thing I keep thinking about. Suspension of rights, a person's a citizen and, and rounding up the usual suspects and all that kind of stuff that goes on before. I kept thinking about, again, sort of Nazi behaviors Mm -hmm. and uh, the ways in which the brown shirts would go about sort of policing the streets Mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. And it, 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 it doesn't seem like long loves that idea. Yeah. And, and that's that's kind of what I was just wanting to sort sure. of throw out there. Well, and I think the, another essential character in that scene that we haven't even talked about is Laurie's defense attorney. Mm-hmm. Who's like, he does a pretty good job. Who seems to be a drunkard of some kind, is like maybe a mob lawyer of some sort, but they have they have given him a defense counsel in this as people's court. And he makes the case very strongly, like, this is a human being, and I'm mm-hmm. not going to sit here and let you guys murder this dude. Yeah, I, I won't be a party to it. And so that it is like definitely positioning as like, this is probably the most like moral forthright person in the room in this moment mm-hmm. and I, I definitely think the film's that like it, it definitely does not think it's a good idea to have the direct victims of these crimes decide what happens to him i, no. I don't think that thinks that uh i just it also does not necessarily seem to think that the state like because of and this is the attorney has these makes these same arguments the state doesn't have the right to do this either is what he says um he says the state should be responsible for this guy. But the state doesn't have the right to kill him any more than we do. And I mm-hmm. think that that is sort of it's interesting that that's the character that like is the strongest voice of like what should happen to Peter Lorre mm-hmm. is is his defense attorney. And again, like that's a voice that makes sense to be the voice of like not necessarily redemption, but at least humanizing right. uh, of somebody that's been deemed inhuman. Uh, it's yeah, it's 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 a, an essential function of society is for the most inhuman among us to have an advocate. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think that's valuable for yeah. sure. And I think the film thinks so too. You know, Arthur, you mentioned at the uh, front end of your review of the film, the, the, uh, the nursery rhyme and Freddy Krueger. And I mean, the Freddy Krueger 
sort of valences continue throughout the film. He is a child killer. I mean, that's, that's sort of, mm-hmm. you know, there's a way in which they name that that way in the film to avoid association with some real-life events that are going on yeah. there at a daycare uh, at that time. And also the idea of uh, the people of the town taking justice in their own hands. Uh, although that's averted in this film, that's what happens in uh, Springfield... What's the day? name of Elm Street's town? I don't remember. Elm Street. Yeah. Elm Street. I think it's Springfield. I want Sounds to say right. Springdale, Springs, something. Doesn't matter. Uh, but anyway, my point is, yeah. you know, since we knew Haddonfield, I thought we ought to know them. One's a good movie. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I'm not getting in the middle of this. <laughs> uh, in your dreams. Anyway. Uh, I already do. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, you're making me lose my train of thought, Arthur. Uh, but 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 I, I do think about that sort of uh, slasher serial killer kind of DNA there, and that this this movie like um, what what Cray does with the Virgin Spring later on with a Last House on the Left, and it becomes you know a movie that you could, could probably use in a the proto slasher canon, mm-hmm. right? Psycho, as you mentioned in your syllabus, yeah. is obviously a film that does that. And I was just wondering, do we do we know of other films that would really sort of play into that sort of proto slasher kind of thing, or other ways in which uh, some of these films would borrow uh, those kinds of ideas? Well, I think, I mean, obviously, Peeping Tom is the other kind of part of mm-hmm. that, right? When you look at Psycho, that's the other side of the coin. Uh, but I think Night of the Hunter, some of that too. Yeah, right? yeah, good idea. I yeah, I think looking at that, I mean, that that character played by. Oh, if you hadn't said it, I I was thinking Dalton? about his face. Robert uh, Mitchell? Robert Mitchell. Mitchham. Mitchum. Mitchum. Yeah, from uh, Night of the Hunter. That's mm-hmm. the one we're talking about. Yeah. Yep. Um, yes, he, uh, I, I think, is very much in a similar vein, much more cold and calculating than what mm-hmm. we get here, right? The presentation mm-hmm. is different totally. as well. Uh, but it feels like its lineage is a part of this, mm-hmm. I think, in some ways. Yeah, what, what's interesting about these, these earlier films, in no way do, is, is there ever any sort of gesture, either in terms of the camera and in terms of the narrative, that makes these people cool? No. Lori's Other than the safe cracker being named the safe cracker. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I'm thinking about the killers, so Lori's never cool. No. Um, Robert Mitchum, although he's Robert Mitchum, he's terrifying, the monster. Um, yeah. Anthony Perkins is, you know... Um, glorious to be on screen but he is definitely a fearful awkward kind of force there's never the sort of sense you know he's uneasy he's uneasy yeah you don't when, when you see um there, there's no sort of it, it, there's no sort of gesture towards the the kind of person you want to imitate yeah in those films no right i think the thing with perkins is they make him sympathetic but that's for the turn mm-hmm. like to make that ending a little more impactful, like, ooh. But he, I mean, there's always something a little off. Right. Well, there's even him. something sympathetic with Laurie, but you don't want to be like Laurie. No, correct. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what the one thing this film does compared to something like Night of the Hunter, where Mitchum is very much presented as cold and mm-hmm. monster. I, I think the film does, not even in just Laurie's performance, but I think the film does not necessarily make him sympathetic, but it doesn't make him out to be kind of a cold, calculated mm-hmm. killer like I was expecting. I was just thinking 1930s kids would dress up as Dracula or Frankenstein from those 1931 yeah. films, but they would not dress up like Peter Lorre. Oh, no. 
And, well, I don't think they were seeing that film, but I, I understand the. Well, I don't think. Well, I, I mean, the movie was more, one of the most popular German expressionist films, and was pretty popular in the states. Oh, uh, was it? Okay. And internationally, um, Laurie recorded dialogue in various languages. I mean, really, it was really heavily distributed. Also, nobody know who he is. I mean, unless they put the EM on this yeah, jacket, I guess. But. Yeah, but I mean, there's no costume. Damn, I am. But picture. were parents letting their kids watch him? Do you yeah, think? That, I don't. Well, well, all movies for general audiences. Also, I mean, what, what does the release look like? I mean, what when Hays Code go into effect? Uh, Hays Code's in the 20s. 26. I mean, uh, really got teeth by 32, 31. So. I mean, what does the exhibition of this look like then? I mean, is it cut? I mean, is it. In the American I mean, it, version? Yeah, I don't know. Because, I mean, the language is a little salty in the translation we watched. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, a little Definitely. bit. I don't think that would have made it past. They, they probably would have subtitled it differently, though. Yeah. 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 I'm curious. Yeah, definitely. I mean, but, I mean, I, I don't see this being a family movie. Yeah, because you can take, take the kids to Dracula, you can take the kids to the werewolf, but yeah, probably don't want to go see a child killer. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. very curious, like how this was exhibited uh, internationally. Uh, it, I mean, it was a hit in Germany at the time, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. So yeah, very, very curious about that, that international exhibition. I don't know. You're you're talking about a a cultural thing that happened for decades right. right like it is sort of but i, I wonder again i'm asking chicken and egg kind of questions sure. again I, you know yeah. is like you know because freddie is so cool people want to dress up as freddie krueger but that takes like four movies to have well no but, but, but yeah. frankenstein's pretty cool and kids are dressing up as frankie right away i mean when do people start dressing like mike and and jason it's a question right, right. i mean, I mean right away right? i don't know i wasn't alive then yeah i, I would say right away well, and none of us but <laughs> we're also making a big a, a big guess about what people were dressing like for, for, to trick-or-treat in the 30s, too. I mean, true. So, uh, mostly a lot of witches and ghosts, probably. Witches and ghosts, but I, I mean, you would see Dracula and Franken... I've, I've seen pictures of those kind of costumes. I've never seen... Yeah, you, as I was going to say, you needed to show your receipts there really yeah. quick, because yeah. you just said you would see, like... You, you, I mean, I... You, you have seen pictures. To... I have seen pictures of costumes, and they yeah. do... There are people... Vampires, werewolves, ghosts. Yeah, yeah and Frankenstein yeah. monsters, yeah. You know, yeah. particularly from the movies, so that that is a thing in the 30s. In the 40s, more so, probably. I mean, this is definitely a different kind of movie, too, right? That, as Arthur said, like, you take your kids to Frankenstein, to Bride of Frankenstein. This is, this is like a date night movie, right? Even even in the 30s, I don't... I know you you were saying as far as, like, all movies were general audiences, mm-hmm. but it's still, like... I don't know. Yeah, I'm don't curious, know. like... I don't know. This holds the child's attention. I really am just... Cu- I mean, I, I think I'm more curious about the exhibition of international film in 1930s America, like... I mean, things like it'd be reserved for, for bigger cities. I don't yeah. think it's playing in small. This is my more of an art house kind of movie yeah. too. Yeah, I'm just kind. Of, I mean, I'm, that's just a whole other thing. I'm kind of yeah. interested. When in. do American audiences even find this film? Yeah, yeah. and how, and, yeah. and how does it get brought over? And mm-hmm. I mean, presumably, it's you know directors and film critics seeing it first, right? That, that having yeah. I mean, but, I mean today, yeah. I mean, the 80s and 90s, yeah, yeah. But I don't see this playing in Topeka if that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I get uh, you. They weren't playing this in the. The Eagle Theater in Stillwell, Oklahoma. Yeah. I don't think. No. Almost certainly not. It doesn't have Gene Autry or John Wayne in it. Yeah. Correct. But yeah, it's it's just like a totally different machine back then. Yeah. I mean, like, I'd just be curious. Well, it is, but it's I, very I, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, we're talking about this sort of movie and its connection to the procedural film. And one of the key aspects of these procedural films is Silence of the Lambs and, uh, you know, your various 80s slashers and even, you know, your sort of more contemporary, just various kinds of soup villain kind of serial killer kind of uh genre fiction that you you see there's a way in which these characters are presented pretty interestingly and again with a with a sense of coolness 
where again people dress up as them or where people are really fascinated with them as a person. I don't see us being fascinated with Peter Laurie and we'll sort of know what he ticks, how he ticks, or Robert Mitchum, or even Norman Bates. I don't think I want to know how Norman Bates ticks, but, but a little bit more there once we get to that point. And uh, it's the same with uh, uh, Bergman's characters in um, Virgin Spring. They're just terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and like these, these people suck and bad people do bad stuff. And, you know, vengeance is mine and that's kind of nice. Yeah. Um, I'm, d- I'm just curious about that transition as this movie does have all the procedural elements. It has the thematic elements and sort of the thought element of a killer on the loose. When that eventual shift happens where we got to make these killers elves the focal point, the antagonist becomes the center um, of the movie in such a way that that's what people are there to watch. We're not, again, Peter Lorre's great in this movie, but it, the movie's about the town. It's about, about the, the I just guilds think this and the is, comps and the I, uh, beggars. It's exactly that, and that's what makes me think that this is just not as connected to the slasher genre as Maybe you're positing it, it is. Maybe it because isn't. it is so much more about all that other stuff. Right. It is so much more about process and procedure. That's, that's, that's to me, it is it is much more in this lineage of of crime stories, of 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 portraits of cities. Like that, that well, to me feels like more of like. And what I keep thinking of Twelve Angry Men, which is, I mean, that's just going to take to a bunch of modern court legal thriller type things mm-hmm. rather than horror. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are definitely horror elements in this for yeah. sure, and I, yeah. I, I get, I get why you would definitely put it in the proto slasher box. I, well, think, I think there's only a through line inside of the lambs, but again, that's yeah. also a procedural with psychological horror yeah. Or, yeah. Mm-hmm. dreading. Rather than yeah, Zodiac's the same way, right? Mm-hmm. A, a yeah. movie that's oh, yeah. like got horror sampling. Well, all about that, but yeah, yeah. I think that's what's so exciting about this movie to me is is it it feels so modern in the way that it's doing multiple genres. It isn't just any one thing, and that's something you sort of expect from movies this old. Is just mm. expect them to be doing lots of things. Yeah, and I think this is wearing quite a few hats, and it's doing it pretty well. Yeah, I agree. No, I think it's making the hats. I don't think the hats even existed. That's a good point. It's inventing the hats. Well, that's the thing that I think is really interesting. Is um, So there's this Criterion essay from uh, Professor Kristen Thompson. Um, mm-hmm. She's got, uh, it's like a 10-minute video essay on the Criterion edition of this. I, she helped write classical Hollywood cinema. She's great. Yeah. She's an incredible person. Yeah, she, she's got a really cool, just like, a highlight uh, essay on like, just how cool the sound in this movie is. And, mm-hmm. and just, it's, it's really short 10 minute watch but it's it's just interesting to like to get some behind the scenes production stills of of this movie like in this essay they, they do have, have some set photos and stuff to see like the old rinky dink microphones that they were using and and sort of how haphazardly were being used but she she highlights like four techniques of lang's and one of them is sound bridges and that's something that we mm-hmm. are super common in modern film but lang like in this interview from the 60s like full-on like just takes credit for inventing this mm-hmm. and it's like yeah 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 I, I invented pre-lap basically which is you know where the audio from one scene like extends over the top of the next scene or the, the audio from the next scene starts in the previous scene however you want to phrase it um that, that's just a, a new technique in 1932 nobody's really doing it again it's something you see in movies constantly now but it's it's such a new technology sound that like it, it is it's just cool to get to see the people be the first to do something and again mm-hmm. like when the late motif of just the sound, the, the the song. Oh, the whistling, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty new, too. Yeah. No, I mean, just another example. Just yeah. to have a character associated with a piece of music, even though it's whistled music, because they're not using score, per se, mm-hmm. because the 30s, and they were sort of... They were still afraid to, that audiences would not understand score. 
That's so interesting. Yeah, that, that, that there's a couple times when there's music that's played, but it's always you see the box getting turned up and yeah. and playing because they were really really afraid as that people would say, well, where's the band? So good, you know. Um, I love it. I, I don't. I, I think odds are more sophisticated than they gave them credit for, but I don't know. I don't know. It, I, there's you know. Arguments either way for the sophistication of audiences, for sure. Uh, the silence is another thing we talked about, in like a '63 interview that Thompson cites that I we I know we were talking about earlier. Arthur, it is the, the use of silence is really interesting. Uh, just like the especially one of the scenes where Lori's on the run. There's like no street chatter. There's no like traffic. Yeah. It's just the like the sounds of the guys like whistling to get attention of other. Yeah. beggars to like hey there he goes it's it's such a cool scene but then work lets out the sound becomes a big part of that design of that, that sequence when they're tr- trying to make sure he does escape mm-hmm. from that business office yeah totally yeah yeah oh, which is cool it is so cool yeah again if if you uh have the access to the criterion channel or the criterion edition of this movie i definitely recommend that that uh chris and tom great cover say. too speaking of two weeks of great covers in a row that's a great cover oh, the criterion oh, the cover with the, the yeah yeah, well, and again, it comes stark image. It comes from the opening of the movie too. It's just like a great image to start on. Is like this the big splash title that this movie gets is pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. I know I've got some some other things I wanted. to... Oh, I love this. Uh, I I love the idea that uh, and this is a you know pretty common idea in real life. But the the idea that um, you panhandlers can go anywhere and can largely move through society undeterred the baker street boys yeah yeah exactly it's it's from sherlock it's it's they do it again and i know we mentioned john wick uh already last week uh but uh yeah john wick does it with uh, the sort of the army of the unhoused that shows up in john wick three i think mm-hmm. so this is a common trope but again it's it's just like this is just true this is just an observation about society that movies often make is that you know you you do try to avoid the eye of people who are panhandling and that does allow them a certain amount of autonomy to move through society without really anybody watching what they're doing uh and it's just such a cool idea that the there's this the the criminal network is plugged into the community in that way Mm -hmm. uh that is probably the most unrealistic thing about it, right? Is that there's actually like a a community taking place between unhoused folk and uh, oh, and just the, criminal, the criminal, the high level yeah, criminals, yeah. That they're all, they're, yeah. The idea that they're all plugged into each other is yeah, sort the, of a fantasy. The, the, the unhoused folks have their sort of you know hobo code and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, that that totally That's, makes sense sure. and a hundred percent checks out. It's it, it is a small substitute reason. I, I, I feed burritos to homeless people every Sunday. Um, yeah. I do this because. I feel compelled to do so for ethical reasons, but I also do this because someday, someday I might get in trouble and I will use them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Favors. And then they will, they will help me out. <laughs> That's very funny. Hey, never hurts to have a favor in your back pocket. That's for sure. Um, I, I'm kidding, dear listener. I, he is not kidding. <laughs> Hard to say with him sometimes, you know. Uh, We've talked about some of the police procedural elements that are like really influential, and I, I just want to highlight that like there, there's some procedural montages, like you know the the big overhead projector of the the fingerprint analysis going yeah. on. There's cool. a couple of moments where the film like really does some stuff. That you're like, oh, we're still using this sort yeah. of. Mm-hmm. The, Finding I've the seen the CSI. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was trying to think about it. I mean, and I, I'm sure, but what's the next big? procedural like this i mean there are plenty of murder mysteries know. right i mean there's plenty of you've got your thin man's and you've got your agatha christie style 
you know, there's a murder, we got to catch the killer, but the actual procedural element like this, I can't. There's yeah, courtroom because, dramas. I mean, there's plenty of courtroom stuff. Because Holmes is always stuff. figuring it out in a way that you you, you don't really see it cinematically. Yeah. Like, like Holmes says, oh, well. He's, people, he's going to places, and then he, he puts well, it together at the end what I he happen, saw. I happen to know that this yeah. ash of tobacco is, is this particular yeah. brand, and that's how I know you're the killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's, there's no way you as an audience know that. Yeah. There's that kind of stuff at play, but I'm, I'm just thinking more of the, the technical components of it. Yeah. I can't think of another movie that focuses on that fingerprints and ballistic for a while cops and rooms talking about what their next move is yeah Yeah. right (sighs) it's all does some of the newspaper movies do a little bit of that i mean probably ace in a hole has Uh, i don't no not really yeah i struggle to think of i was thinking of michael friday or his girl friday but i don't that's yeah. the same thing. No, yeah. I don't think so either. No, I mean, it's a great question. Media, Arthur. media procedurals and journalistic procedurals exist for sure. But yeah, like the, the the murder procedural. I mean, this feels like this movie invents it, and I don't know like when it gets done again. Because um, oh, my only examples I'm coming to mind are like like seventies and nineties stuff. Uh, it's an excellent question, though. Yeah, I'm I'm just very curious about that and how that evolves, because that seems to be its biggest, at least narrative. Innovation, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, outside of genre-wise, I guess yeah, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Outside the technical stuff, like even even it's it's cool the levels at which this is influential. Like, there's the technical stuff we were talking about camera moves and like, and like the sound, but that that kind of narrative hook is mm-hmm. is yeah that to innovate that is I don't know, just really cool. Yeah, I don't uh, yeah, I don't know. If there's anything like that, you know, for decades, really. Yeah, I mean, we get some stuff on TV. In the fifties, maybe mm-hmm. the Untouchables mm-hmm. is in fifty nine. Yeah, Perry Mason even to an extent's got the, the sure. uh, yeah outside the courtroom bits of procedural kind of investigation. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know that there's a lot. I'd be curious to look at that. Now. That's fascinating. Yeah, there's a line I wrote down, and I can't remember who says it. I can't remember if it's a cop or a, a criminal. I think it's one of the cops, but. It, it's the line, most of the public still takes the position, and how does this concern me? It comes up during the process of trying to hunt down Peter Laurie. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, boy, it sure seems like we've always been concerned about the same stuff for the last hundred years. Yeah. When it comes to, like, living on top of each other uh, in, in, you know, urban settings. Mm-hmm. It really does seem like we're struggling always to make that not be an alienating place. Mm-hmm. We're, we're str- we, we struggle throughout, like the modern era to make those urban areas feel connected to one another. Well, beside another um, Frankfurt school theorist, um, Walter Benjamin, mm-hmm. that's, that's sort of his idea of shock of modernity in film, but also just the modern experience is that it sort of reveals to us just how alienated we are, mm-hmm. that, that the experience of modernity itself is itself alienating. That's just the, the very nature of it. And we're not aware of it sometimes in cinema tells these stories and gives us these images in a way to sort of help to reveal to us our alienation. And so, yeah, there's, there's definitely a there there on that. Yeah. And I don't know. It doesn't point to Peter Laurie as like the, the, in the, the, the certain end result of this alienation. Right. I don't think it's no, doing that so. or anything, but it does like gesture him as a, a it's something we don't know what, and I, we kind of alluded to this before we got down to business, but he is something that we don't know what to do about mm-hmm. still. We didn't know then, we didn't, don't know now, and it is sort of, uh, um, it's not the most modern concern. I mean, a lot of folklore uh, theorists believe a lot of monster folklore mm-hmm. comes from not knowing what to do about 
you know, murderers back in the day. Vampires and werewolves are yeah. different than murderers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, this it's not like this is considered to be a modern phenomenon, child murderers or serial murdering. It's something we haven't studied and cataloged until the modern era. And it is interesting that how ahead of the curve Germany is on a lot of like sociology and a lot of like again like before the rise of the third reich they're ahead of the game on i mean there's a reason it used to be uh asd used to include asperger's you know and uh sex uh the study of sex and sexology and gender Mm. criminology like all of these things that germany is so ahead of the curve on and it doesn't matter how ahead of the curve you are if your society is ready for a strong man. And again, mm-hmm. you talked about, um, oh my God, I forgot his name already. Crack hour. Yeah, you talked about Krakauer's assertions. And I, I don't know that this, it's, that's just so interesting. Is like, you can look at this movie and see so many things about 30s Germany that seem modern to our, our modern eyes. And, and yet this is just around the corner. Mm-hmm. And there's no real like, there's nothing in the film that would gesture to that being there, I don't think. Well, the, I mean, there, there's a sort of political theory that goes with this, is the sort of the, uh, the, the constant threat of every time revolution happens, mm-hmm. you know, in this way, it was sort of an ideological, philosophical kind of revolution that we're, we're, we're sort of remarking on here. There's always a threat of counter-revolution, mm-hmm. and that if you're not on guard, counter-revolution is not only regressive to just before the discovery, but even further back, mm-hmm. right? And something, you know, in this sense, kind of primitive. Um, and there is a real primitivism to the, the Third Reich. Well, I mean, there's there's a reason that uh, those sorts of movements are called reactionary. Mm-hmm. They are often in opposition to a different uh, way of the sort of cultural revolution, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Do, do you feel like that's on display here? I mean, this I, again, it's so interesting where we end this film, right? It, there, mm-hmm. we end in the formal courts. The movie doesn't really say, "Ah, uh, now now justice has been served." It just says. Watch out. Keep an eye on your kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, it goes out on a think of the children ending, and that's right, like yeah. sort of the moral of the story. Yeah, it's like a McGruff the crime dog kind of ending there. Yeah. You know, it's like, and by the way, you know, keep an eye on your kiddos because, you know, these people are out there. It, it, that's the moment of the movie <laughs> where the movie feels most dated. Yeah. Right. That, yeah. The, the, the final line summarizing everything the movie had for you, that's a little dated. Yeah, but I it, don't care for that. I don't, I don't know that, that I do. You think it works against the movie because I, the question of which court is going to meet out the fairer justice or the more whose justice is more correct is, is a really interesting question that the film doesn't have to pour because it's already been going for an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah. And I, I it's a question that I'm having fun thinking about. And it's, it's what draws me to back to this film, I think, because, because as you said, Laurie is so compelling in that final courtroom scene. He, he does bring the and then as does his defense counsel, like the two of them uh, sort of as a, you know, where he's got the big showy performance and the the uh, actor had kind of more restrained character work, but but they're both like trying to get the audience on board with not killing the child murderer, mm-hmm. and that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard case to make. It's a hard yeah. case to make fictionally or not, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, I I don't know. I I am always the person trying to make that argument because I I don't know. I don't think the state should kill anybody. Call right. me crazy. Um, I don't know. It's a tough, tough argument to make for sure. Uh, and I, I again I think the film never makes it all the way because it knows it's kind of an impossible argument. Mm-hmm. You really have to convince people uh, that uh, justice doesn't work, that shouldn't work that way. Right. And that, that's, a, that's a tall order. Uh, I mean, there's a reason this movie, like, has legs. We we still remain 
flummoxed by the same questions throughout our, you know, humans don't change that much, mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm saying. Well, and I was, I was want to go back to one last thing that you said, and, you know, we're, we're going long today, which is great, because we're having a good time talking about this movie, but I, 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 you mentioned something about us not caring unless there's a reason to care, mm-hmm. and I was thinking about the police raids, and the, the ways in which they were sort of intentionally inconveniencing the entire society to, in the, the same way, sort of mobilize, you know, sort of uh, the, the, the neighborhood watch, right? Yeah. <laughs> to get everybody else on this, and the idea is like, the only way we're going to get you to buy in is if you, if you don't have a kid and your kid has been killed yet. The only way you're going to have any buy into this is to, you know, just make your life really, really uncomfortable with all the sort of police checks and looking at papers and, you know, a sort of random crackings of the whip and we'll just, you know, we'll take you in on solicitation and this other stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and just, you know, again, inconveniencing the stew out of everybody around you in order to get you to care. And that that's an interesting method yeah because i think it is kind of frequently used well it's also interesting like the unintended consequence of that is well now there's a secondary investigation going on right now now there are two parallel investigations to catch this guy because you have inconvenienced the black market so much Mm -hmm. that they're like all right well we have to put a stop to this or we can't we cannot function. <laughs> I have banks to rob. And yeah, I- <laughs> we, we have money to make. We, we simply can't continue like this. It is very funny that it's, yeah, it's it's both like the, the police tactic is to force societal attention. And and then the, the counter there is, I don't know, it's, it's very interesting. Um, it's kind of another, inter- it's interesting that the, the movie says both investigations are going to pan out. I don't know if you guys remember this, but the police are like hot on his heels. Like that, that's mm-hmm. sort of the parallel. As yeah, they're, they're just about to catch him. Yeah. They're, they're on onto him. They're in his apartment, right? Yeah, yeah. They, they know who it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. The movie makes a point to be like, they would have caught him. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that that's true, but it's, it's interesting that the movie is to say that um, where, where it's trying to have its cake and eat it too. Sort of interesting as far as, I don't know. It definitely wants to say something about, society i just I definitely is trying to be even-handed about it in a way that i think is really interesting yeah yeah it doesn't it doesn't want to say crime is inherently like criminals fault like it had like a very again modern perspective mm-hmm. on like crime as a social institution absolutely all right well let's go ahead and render a verdict then on this film what do you say about m shelf or trash arthur uh i think this one goes on the shelf pretty easily right that's that's where i'm gonna land that's my uh my final verdict Final verdict in your, your kangaroo court of movies. Yes. What say you, um, Dalton? I'm s- the top 100. Uh, yeah, it's my top 100. Yeah, I think it's an essential film. Yep. I also think it's totally a shelfer. Although I, you know, usually when I talk about expressionism, I usually talk about the silent expressionism. I don't talk about these uh, early sound experiments. And I think I am inspired to say more about this one in the future. So shelf, and I'm going to pull the clips more often. Is my uh, final conclusion. Good. I was thinking about the express. It. it- I don't. I might. I mean, my very little experience with. I mean, it felt more like the kind of noir. Uh, yeah, Americanized kind of take mm-hmm. on on expressionism. Yeah, it, it does feel like the edges are. I mean, there those moments, you know, when he sees the girl and then the mirror in mm-hmm. the window, like that thing is kind of very expressionistic. Yeah. Well, the and some of the sets, maybe, little but, sort of circle thing in yeah, the window. Yeah, yeah. So there are little moments, but it didn't feel like you know Caligari. Right. No, as, it's well, not. You yeah. know, it's not as extreme yeah. as, as an example. And so I, I, I wasn't really buying, getting into that mode as much as I would have yeah. maybe. Well, other... even to pull from his own filmography, right? Like Metropolis. Metropolis. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He's doing like 
a much more grounded thing for sure mm-hmm. which, which i think is yeah it's interesting to see a filmmaker working in a t- totally different mode especially like the big scale of metropolis to come down to, down to something like was probably just as big in scale but doesn't seem like it at yeah, first those sets were expensive yeah no doubt yeah the, no miniatures but yeah big big sets yeah that's that's what's so interesting is like how, where is the money on screen in this for something like metropolis like mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's sort of interesting again and in, in a different mode just being more grounded it's, it's yeah it's it's always fun to chart a filmmaker's career, even when they're dead. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've said a lot about this movie, dear listener, and we think you might have some things to say to us about them. Dalton, tell them how. Yeah, you can email us your thoughts at goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, that's goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com for all your thoughts on M and all other movies. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Good Trash Media, and you can support the show over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash GTM. Find out what's in it for you over there. Arthur, what? We have just the one crime film left, right? We got one. We just one left. One left. One last job. That's right. One last <laughs> yeah. final got, job. Got to form a team. I got a girl. I got a gun. I think we're good to go. I'm we, the yeah. safe cracker. Oh, I oh. wanted to be the safe cracker. Okay, you can be the safe cracker. Yay. Can I do demolition? I like explosives. Yes. Okay, I, excellent. That explains a lot. Um, <laughs> well, next week, we, we wrap this back up in the States. And the year is 1984. The original Apple Macintosh personal computer went on sale. <laughs> Top pop musicians gathered in a Notting Hill studio to form Band-Aid and record the song, Do They Know It's Christmas? <laughs> the UK and China agree Hong Kong will revert to China in 1997. A massive year-long miner strike began during March of 1984 in England. The first solo transatlantic flight in a helium balloon took place. Widespread famine in Ethiopia after political conflict. And two brothers from Minnesota, make their mark on cinema with their feature debut, Blood Simple. Yeah, it is. Okay. It's the yeah. Coen brothers. I, as okay. we wrap I, I, up. I thought you were figuring it out, too. No, yeah, no, I, I, I got not... it as soon as you said brothers. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Blood Simple. Okay, excellent. I haven't seen it yet. So. I have also never seen Blood Simple. So I'm very good. I'm ex- so feature excited. feature film debut of one Francis McDormand. <sighs> wow, she's wow. great. What a for? Come on, Francis and the Coens coming out of the gate swinging you know i love it they live together it's so cute with the ramies yeah uh, and billy bob yeah it's gonna be a good time all right well there you go dear listener that's what's next you keep watching we'll keep talking we'll see you all next time i'm not afraid i'm not afraid